0: And at that day, you know, little you know did I know that I would turn my history into my future and my pain and my purpose. And from that day, I have been sober ever since.
1: Welcome to the Juggling the Chaos of Recovery podcast, where we focus on health and wellness and overcoming all types of addictions. You're in the right place if you're a mom, dad, sibling, or caregiver who has a loved one who is or was struggling with an eating disorder or any other kind of addiction. In a time where everything seems heavy, I'm here to bring you a very real yet lighthearted take on what the heck we're all supposed to do with our lives while we care for our loved ones who are struggling. One thing holds true throughout it all. You can't juggle the chaos without smiling, at least a little bit. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I'm your host, Moy Rogorski. So glad you are here. Uh, there are days that um, you'll hear me by myself, and there's so many days that I bring a guest on, and today is one of those days where I bring a guest on, and us podcasters and people that have a message to share uh, find ourselves, on, find each other, I, I guess I would say, on different venues like uh, Clubhouse or a place called Matchmaker.fm or... Uh, referring from a friend. And Justin, uh, my guest today, Justin Bryan, um, I think we found each other on matchmaker.fm, which is kind of like a Tinder for podcasters. What should I tell people? Again, we just, I really appreciated connecting there because uh, Justin has a, a great story, um, which all of my guests have great stories. But as a result of what he went through, he is now helping others, which again, so many people um, have done that. And I think those are the people that should do it uh, because- You know, as Justin says, he's a mental health advocate, inspirational speaker and professional executive coach. He's a hockey player from Canada. So I have a (laughs) dear place in my heart for hockey players because my three boys have played hockey and I was a hockey mom for 17 seasons. But anyway, however, you know, to put those things behind or in front of his name, um, he went through a six year long battle with suicidal thoughts, 16 year battle with addiction and almost a lifetime of depression. He credits finding his way and reaching out for help, Uh, finding his why and reaching out for for help, helped him on his path to recovery and inspiring others to become their strongest versions. So, Justin, thank you for joining me today. I'm thrilled you're here.
2: Thanks for having me. And I, I am Canadian, so I'm pretty sure most of us play hockey.
1: Yeah. Right. Right. You know, there's pl- there's places like Canada, you put hockey, you know, just about when you can walk, you put the skates on. Um, I started taking ballroom dance lessons uh, last August. And, you know, the people that I train with are from Moldova and the Ukraine. When they could start to walk, they put their dancing shoes on, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, um, again, hockey's a great sport. But I think we're going to talk a little bit about some of the I guess, results or injuries with with hockey that might have led to some um, mental health struggles. Um, So we're going to get right into it here. And so, as I always say, let's get started hearing your story, not all of the, you know, not all the details, but just really kind of what happened along the way uh, with your your life and kind of how it, again, we're going to talk about how you found help and talk about support and things like that, but just really how you how your journey your story led you to where you're at today well in
0: just you know a couple of minutes (laughs) yeah yeah no problem I can do that uh because it is it is a very long story because I have lived quite the life of experiences and things that people don't want to see people don't like people would never want to be a part of and witness themselves um but you know what uh, at 30 years old, I was diagnosed with uh, clinical depression, which is a sadness that can last every day, all day, social and general anxiety, um, ADHD, and as you're saying, I had concussions from some sports, right? Now, uh, you mix all that up, then you pair it with coping with drugs and alcohol, you know, it's just a recipe for disaster. But now that I know a lot more about mental health, I can see where, it, you know, it started to transpire as a kid, you know, as a kid, I was low self-esteem, low self-confidence, low self-worth and i always compared myself to other people one of the big things was is i was behind my friends in sports i wasn't as good as an athlete as them and that that really crushed me watching my friends go off and you know but i was i was smaller than everybody i was weaker than everybody and uh, you know i didn't hit puberty till grade 11 I, w- I was picked on a bit by but you know it it was a different kind of pick. it was it was friends picking on me but you know it it kind of just made me reiterate you know, it made me think. You know, I'm I'm not that cool, or I'm not I'm not that guy. And I had no reason to think that. But you know, my nickname was gay growing up, and you know, I, yeah, I was I was a pretty outspoken and outgoing guy. And you know, I tried to show off because I wanted people to like me so bad. And then I don't like that nickname kind of stuck with me, and it it made me question everything about myself. So, growing up, you know, I compared myself, I questioned myself, and I always wanted to be other people. Now, when I got out of high school, I finally found alcohol. I mean, I drank a little bit in high school, but like nothing major, you know, I might've got drunk a handful of times, but like didn't really drink, didn't appeal to me. Um, when I got out of high school, I moved out on my own, went to move away to play hockey. I, uh, found alcohol and what did it do? It gave me that false sense of confidence, that false sense of security. I thought it made me Superman, like super Justin. No. And then once I was finished, you know, and the the sad thing was I was drinking, I was drinking too much. I was, Drinking after games, I was drinking sometimes before games. You know, in one game I played, I played kind of drunk, and it, another guy, you know, he's like, "Hey man, I can smell liquor on your breath." And it was like, "Yeah, well, I was drinking all day." And uh, you know what? My hockey career ended. You know, I didn't try, I didn't care. You know, I just I was in such a bad mindset. You know, I wasn't wasn't my best version definitely. And then after that, I moved to Vancouver, um, 21 years old, started bartending and drinking every day, going out every night getting, getting a drink as I can after work, coming home, drinking even more. Um, and then at 24 years old, I graduated, I to say to cocaine use and you know, and I didn't remember using it, but my buddy said something to me that uh, stuck with me and kind of triggered me. And it was the worst thing he probably could have said to me. And what he said was, man, you were funny. Now a lot of people are going to be like, Oh, that's not bad. Well, for a guy like me who uses alcohol as a crutch, it was awful because now I have two crutches. Okay, well, I had an algorithm for drinking so I can have this many drinks before I go to the bar, this many drinks to talk to that girl, to go on the dance floor. Now I also have cocaine. And it's going to make me even better, Justin, and you know, all the talkative, Justin. I'm going to come out of my shell. So at 24 years old, I'm, I'm quickly turning, I am an addict, um, alcohol and drugs. And I finally questioned myself because another bartender asked me about it. And I quickly said, no, I dismissed it. I'm, you know, and I, it's, this is exactly what I said. I'm, like, I'm too smart to be an alcoholic. Alcoholics slow lives. You know, alcoholism is you know not normal. And I'm too smart. I'm 24 years old. I can't be one. Six months down the road, I'm driving. I know exactly where I'm driving down a straight stretch with a buddy of mine, and the topic of depression comes up. And then we start talking, and I straight up looked at him like, you know what? Depression is for the week. Some excuse. Got a man up. Go to work. Pay your bills. And. I'm so at 24 years old, I'm a complete addict. I'm dismissing depression. And what were my two biggest vices? Addiction and my mental health. So, 24 years old, starts me down this downward spiral. And then it just, you know, it kind of went downward from there to, you know, I, I woke up one day, I, my wrists were cut. Um, I had a knife in my bed, there was blood in there. And I'm very lucky to be alive because I don't remember doing it. I ended up becoming an organ donor got milk thistle for my livers and kidney flush or kidney yeah kidney flush for my kidney so i could you know eat healthy and prepare my body to go because someone deserved it more than i did you know and then i was dating this girl at the time and we ended up breaking up because i was just a mess uh we end up hooking up nine months later she phones me three months after that i'm pregnant i'm like okay well i gotta get my stuff together did i No, I didn't. I got in a car accident, went to rehab, got out of rehab. You know, I I started drinking again. Six months later, she has to make uh, the the decision to, you know, pick up and leave with our son. You know, she still loved me, but I wasn't a good environment to be around. I mean, it wasn't abusive, but definitely wasn't good for a kid. You know, and then that happened. I started going down again. You know, I got in the hospital with alcohol poisoning. My son looked at me and... Cause when she brought him in, he's like, what's wrong with daddy? And I'm just like, okay, hey, I'm better off. He's better off without me. Very, very lucky though. At around that same time, I started listening to motivational speaking and on YouTube. And it was guys like who I have no idea who they are. I definitely know who they are now is Eric, John, Eric Johnson, Eric Thomas, Inky Johnson, Les Brown and Trent Shelton. And they all started talking about finding your why. So I started to question myself, well, Justin, what is your why? Well, what if it's that little boy? And I know a lot of people are going to say, do it for yourself. Well, I know a lot of people that couldn't, like guys in rehab, you know, they were there for their families. They're, And they're like, oh, they're going for the wrong reasons. No, they're there. At least they're there. But when you're hopeless and you don't see an end, you got to figure it out. You got to find a, find a why that's going to motivate you, inspire you to, you know, get yourself better. And I made it my son. I'm like, I'm going to be better for him because if I get better for him, I get better for me. If I get better for me, I can help other people. So I went back to rehab, but instead of, you know, I'm going to quit drinking. I went with the power of why, why do I drink? Well, I'm depressed. Why am I depressed? Well, I have low self-worth, low self-esteem, low self-confidence. Well, why do I feel like that? Well, I never thought I was good enough, but the biggest thing is I never learned how to talk about it. So the biggest thing that I learned to do was ask for help when you're struggling, you know, and then I got out of, I got out of rehab. I had everything, you know, the bull by the horns three months later, go back down that rabbit hole again. You know, I like to tell people that you don't choose addiction. However, you choose to stay in addiction. The hardest part of addiction isn't quitting, but it's living in sobriety. So for me, the hardest thing to do was live life sober because for 16 years I used it for conversations, used it to talk to people, used it to leave my house, used it to play even sports. So here I am having to figure it out in a sober lifestyle and it, it was hard and then all those unwanted thoughts came back. And then finally on January 4th, I'm like, I go to my mom, I'm like, hey, listen, you need to take me to the hospital. I said, why am I like, just, can you just take me? She's like, okay. So finally she takes me to the hospital and on January 4th, 2019, I had my dad to my left, my mom in front of me, a counsel to the right. And I finally admitted out loud that, hey, I had a plan. And that plan was to end it. And after that day, you know, know well, did I know that I would turn my history into my future and my pain and my purpose. And from that day, I have been sober ever since, you know, I've created my own personal development program. Um, I've spoken to over 500 people on mental health and addiction. You know, there was a time where I was staring at the back of my kid's head when we were, when I was broken up with my girlfriend and I was like, am I going to make it? And I was crying and I'm just looking at the back of his head. Am I going to make it to see him score a goal? Uh, teach him how to ride a bike, you know, see him graduate or even get married. And the answer was no, right? Because, I just, I thought he was better off without me. If I thought if I took my own life that he would find a father, that was good for him. But since I made all those changes this year, I'm back together with my girlfriend. We actually have another one on the way in September, a baby girl. And another thing is I actually got to coach my kid in hockey this year. I got his first ever goal. Uh, I got to coach him in baseball. I get to coach him in soccer. I mean, I didn't want to coach him in soccer because I just want to have one sport where I can sit back and watch but there's no other parents wanting to volunteer. So I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Cause I was kind of like an all around athlete. Um, but I got to be able to do all those things. in that uh, short period of time that I've been sober. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, congratulations on, um, making that decision and staying sober. Um, there's so many, so many things that I want to talk about with this, but again, um, so many, I've heard this so many times, similar parts of the story. And, um, you know, I often wonder, although again, you kind of said it, you know, like what is that thing that helps to change the, you know, the trajectory of your life? You know, sometimes it's faith. Sometimes it's somebody that says something like a friend that said, you know, the right thing or the wrong thing. Um, But, you know, again, you're doing recovery for somebody else. And that got, you, um, that got you better for them, but it also got you better,
0: you know, for yourself. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny because you, you do it for somebody else, but essentially you're doing it for yourself because that person that you're doing it for means you're going to get to see them more, which means you're going to be healthy. Mm-hmm. So it's essentially it comes back on you. And it's, it's funny how it works that way because it essentially really is for you, but... Right when you're it's really hard to love yourself when you see no end when you you know for me uh the hardest thing was the guilt and the shame like I felt guilty for being depressed because Mm -hmm. I knew my capabilities like I got good grades in high school people liked me I know I'm funny uh I you know I have a good family it's I felt bad for feeling bad and so I wanted to donate my body and when you when you get into that where the guilt and the shame, Brene Brown talks about it. You know, the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is you did something bad, shame is you are bad. And I made some really poor decisions when I was drinking and, you know, but those are decisions I made, right? Mm-hmm. And I knew every time that I picked up that drug or if I picked up that bottle, I would miss times with my son. I would miss times at work who, you know, were there to help me along the way and, you know, talk to me, lending an Year, and so like that guilt and shame really crept in. It was very hard to get over that, like, and I still can. You know, it, it's very important to forgive your past and accept it. But I mean, I can still now that I'm sober, I can have those times where I'm just like a thought will creep in, I'm like, "Oh man, I can't believe I kind of did that," right? Mm-hmm. But you got to get over it because if you if you live in your if you live in your past, you can't really create your future. Right.
1: Well, and you know it it lasted for many years, as you said. So, you know, it becomes your identity and like, you don't, even though you knew in your head that you're a smart kid, you're a funny kid, you know, you've got a great head on your shoulder, but like, but your behaviors are showing you, you know, year after year, something, a different story
2: than that. Yeah, so I had a great head on my shoulder and didn't know how
1: to use it. Right. Exactly. Well, and I, you know, I, I remember one of my son's um, hockey coaches who I don't know if he was Canada from Canada or not. And that's not the most important thing, but he did go off and play. He went off to live with another family, you know, when he was in high school, which it sounded like perhaps Mm -hmm. you did too. And I forget what they're called, but you know, he billets, right. So he left his family and he, I remember him saying that like, all of a sudden he grew up, like he's on, he's on the bus, they're throwing the beers around, like all of a sudden, like he's 16 years old and he has to grow up. You know, he gets put into this adult grown-up world and he said you know it wasn't wasn't the best thing for a 16 17 year old kid I mean he said I wanted to play hockey but you know there was things that all of a sudden I saw that I really shouldn't have seen or been exposed to at that age
0: well you know what I I was a for my first two years of junior hockey I was I was a good billet my last year though is I was a mess and you know I kind of took advantage of my billet family like you know, I would, t- I took their vehicle once and I was drinking and driving and I, you know, I just kind of bent the rim and the broke the, the review mirror and, you know, I was loud and had people over and, you know, it's just very disrespectful, but you know, that that's not the real me, but you know, I, I wasn't a very good billet and I didn't grow up. I took, I made really bad choices and, you know, I it, something that I have to live with as some people, you know, it's all perspective. Some people do that and they grow up. Some people, you know, I just went down. Like I honestly, that, that same year I wanted to quit when I even went and saw a, a, a doctor, like, because I wanted to quit the team, but they didn't want me to quit the team. He's one of the best players. So I even went and saw doctors. My head wasn't there. All my head was, was addiction. I just, mm-hmm. when can I get that drink? When can I get it? And it's such a weird feeling when you crave something so bad that you do some, whatever you can to get it. Mm-hmm. You have to lie, steal, cheat. Right. um, just to, you know, get drunk or get high. It's, it's, it's a crazy feeling.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you ever just, it's not on the little notes here, but do you ever, um, heard, heard of anything called cranial sacral therapy? I have not. Yeah. Well, that's, um, it's an alternative kind of treatment, if you will. I don't think I've had an expert talk about that, but I have a really good friend who, uh, when my boys were playing hockey, it's a, it's a form of so let's see if you understand like chiropractic, you know, when you go to a chiropractor and they do an adjustment, it's uh, kind of adjusting your bones and your joints and things like that. So that things there aren't those um, restrictions, if you will. And so craniosacral therapy is the same type of concept in that it but it works with a sacral fluid from your cranium to your sacrum. And um, and it's just like a hands-on, like they can just feel somehow with their hands, they can feel the restrictions and the blockages and things like that. And as a result of that, it really helps with inflammation and inflammation of the brain. And it's, I mean, it's studied as a scientific method and things like that. And I learned about it through my girlfriend who then I introduced to my boys and they saw the impact of it so much that or the effect of it that if they got knocked around or had a significant concussion, they're like, can we go to see Carol? Because it really, really helped to pull down the inflammation. So it helped to speed the healing of yeah. the concussions. And um, she's really passionate about that. And it was interesting. I went to, a well, I took one of my boys to a sports medicine doc for something else, not even a concussion, but he, um, he had an L45 stress fracture. Yeah. And got thrown into the boards. And again, we're a little off topic here. But the point is I went to see, you know, took him to see him. And then I said, hey, what do you guys recommend for concussions? And he said that was the first thing, cranial psychotherapy, magnesium, omega-3s to feed the brain and things like that. And um, so it it was really something that I tell people about just because it really helped my kids. And again, it's helped so many people just help to to heal the brain because it really gets knocked around like, you know, yeah football, you know, even soccer. I mean, people that get concussions, I mean, it can be any type of athlete or so, but it was something that was really, really helpful for my boys.
0: Yeah. You know, well, I take, I take fish oils. Um, I have one with DHA, um, mm-hmm. I also take GABA. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I take? Um, I take a B complex with like rhodiola and stuff like that. And ginseng mm-hmm. COQ 10 for your heart health mm-hmm. and vitamin C. And I take uh it's like a, it's an, a natural testosterone booster, which is basically magnesium and zinc. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good.
0: That, that noggin, because I find it, you know, as a coach, yeah, you know, it's, yeah, I find it very hard to focus. I mean, I've been able to coach, but like in learning and stuff, like in, in high school, I didn't have a problem with learning. Now it's, you know, I've done all these courses. It's, I don't, I'm not doing as well as I used to do. Mm-hmm it very hard to concentrate so i'm trying to figure out a way i can do natural because i've tried eight you know i've tried eight different medications from bipolar because of mm. my severe depression i'm not bipolar but it's for for severe depression um mm. adhd i've tried a couple things um anxiety pills and you know i just didn't like how they made me feel i've tried antidepressants now that being said i'm not on medications now but if i mean they helped like the antidepressants and the bipolar meant helped me a lot tremendously And the only reason I went off of it was so we could have another child. And I didn't want to be on meds while I was trying. Mm -hmm. And I've been off meds ever since. And, you know, I've I've been doing okay. But if I ever feel like I'm slipping and I can't handle it with a a natural lifestyle, I'd go back on meds in a heartbeat because Mm -hmm. i do not not one of those pill shamers at all. It's just right now I, I don't feel like I need them. But if I do... I would go back on
1: them. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm a. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a retired nurse, and so I have a nursing background. And then I've been in the wellness space for 21 years. So been on both sides of things. And I'm the same way. You know, I'm not like if medications medications can be so helpful if you find the right ones, and sometimes it takes a lot of experimenting. And there's also some natural supplements that can really help. And of late, um, and I've got to find somebody that I can bring on to talk about this because I've been learning about. Uh, amino acids like GABA and other, you know, um, tryptophan, like all these other things. And again, it's a long story, but I got connected with somebody and I'm um, talking with her just for myself and she's uh, and there's a and I'll, I'll put this out there for my guests and also for you. You may be interested in that because it's there's a gal out of California named Julia Ross, and um, she has a couple of books, one called the The Craving Cure, The Mood Cure and The Diet Cure. And it's all about helping to balance the brain chemistry Mm -hmm. with those amino acids. And it's fascinating um, and it's working because I, again, this isn't about me, but I bring this up because we're kind of talking about brain health a little bit here and addictions because as I'm learning about this amino acid therapy, I'm learning that it's, it's been used to help people decrease their cravings and not just, you know, cravings because they're overweight, but cravings and addictions and things like that. And it's fascinating. And I was trying some myself just for my own mood. I mean, I I um, feel pretty good most days, but I, my daughter still struggles. I still have some struggles with my family and that sometimes gets me down. And so, I'm and I'm always the, okay, I'll just try something different. I'll try something different and maybe I should have an antidepressant or maybe, you know, and this just kind of came across my desk, if you will. And um I've been using them for about three weeks and I can feel a difference just in the that level of mood. And I'm sleeping, you know I wasn't sleeping and things like that. So um it's really pretty cool. And yeah, um, an
0: experiment, right? Yeah. And you know, in the mental health space and depression, not one thing is gonna work for everybody.
1: Right. Right. And um, yeah, and I feel like I always tell people in my wellness business or even in this, it's like, just be open to whatever comes your way, you know, just listen to it because maybe it is something that could help you. Maybe it's something that, um, you know, could be different than what you've tried that could be, um, that could be helpful. Um, I mean, and you talk about that, the tools that you um, have kind of developed that, and we talk about this on this podcast, like, you know, find some tools that you can put in your tool belt so that when things get tough when you've got having a rough day, you know, what you can, what you can grab onto um, as a tool. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like really kind of what, what you are kind of relying on to keep you, keep you going besides, you, you know, your family and the future
0: there? Well, the, the biggest thing I, could, I can say to people is give yourself some grace. Give, some, give yourself some grace to be human. Um, you know, not everybody, it, <laughs> most people don't have life figured out. Um, and it's the people that ask for help, you know, you try to do it yourself, but it's the people that ask for help that really get further in life. And, you know, I, I started doing gratitude, um, doing three things I was grateful for in the morning. Um, you know, I was journaling my feelings at night. I was listening to podcasts of, of guys like me who struggled and were showing their vulnerability. I started reading, I started, you know, exercising, eating a lot cleaner. But I mean, ever since I quit drinking, I've had that sugar, sugar craving, right? But uh, the biggest thing I, I learned was building a support network of people that are going to support you, uplift you, and encourage you. And, you know, the people that are going to lend that ear. Um, I, You know, I've been to over 100 doctor's appointments, 77 days in rehab, 45 addiction appointments, 10 psychologists, 10 psychiatrists, eight different meds. But I have that support network of people of – I was seeing my doctor every month. I see an addiction counselor every two weeks for a bit. You know, I saw a, psych- a psychologist and a psychiatrist, you know, was, I had that friend that would always text me every day. And, you know, it's, it's building up that support network of people that are going to be there for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and trying to just, you know, there is this stigma about mental health and disorders and again, and for a man you know, you know, you're strong, you know, you just got to be a badass and a strong dude. Yeah. And like, really, you know, and being vulnerable, like all those things that you said, men have a hard time doing that. I mean, I have a hard time doing that, but men especially, you know, have a hard time being vulnerable and um, showing their feelings and talking about their feelings. And like you said, admitting that maybe you need some help.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I live by that man up stigma for a very long time to where it was changing my internal dialogue. And I was saying some pretty rough things to myself where I was working at a mill and I'd be working across from somebody and I'd be sitting there wondering, am I going to make it? And then I'd be like, you're such a, whatever you're weak. You're you're pathetic. You're a failure. Like, I would i literally forget the person's name setting it right across from me because i I'm just so out to lunch. I was very lucky i never I never heard anybody where I worked because I worked with forklifts and a four hundred degree press like mm-hmm. you know and we we're driving the forklifts around inside at at a high speed, ripping around corners, right? like very lucky I never heard anybody, but my internal dialogue was awful and it's what you think, what you say, and what you believe about yourself can either make or break you because the person that you spend the most time with in this life is you.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's up here. And it all starts with you, and it all starts up there. So it's when you beat yourself up every day and don't talk about it, there's nobody that's going to be able to, to help you.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Except for you. Except you for know? you. Except for you. But again, when you're... Um yeah, but when you're telling yourself that you're a loser and you can't even help yourself, it's 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 difficult again, i've I've heard it. I've seen it. I've lived around it, um I will say. Um, there wasn't a whole, you mentioned your parents at one time that they were able to take you to the hospital. but I know that these type of addictions and disorders really do impact relationships. And you know, this is again, a little well, I talked about relationships again, just asking um, for you to think about that. but, You know, how did this, you know, how did everything that was going on in your life, like impact your relationship with your folks, you know, going away, living with a different family, being, you know, wrapped up in these addictions? How did it impact that if it did and have things improved or like where are you at with? with those kind of things?
0: Well, you know, I moved away. I moved to a lot of different places. I mean, I'd go move away, get in trouble, get fired from a job. I'd just go, you know, I was a very good bartender. Like I I came to me, I liked doing it. So I was very quick learner and anywhere I went in and started, like I'd be good right away. So I could get jobs easy, but I was getting fired from because I was drinking, right? But then I'd move around, get another job, get another job. And I didn't really see my family much over eight years even when I lived in the same town and bartended and ran a nightclub, I didn't really go and see them. I was kind of, I wanted to stick to myself Um, very much liked isolation, but you know what, when I moved home at 28, it was, it was Rocky. My dad didn't really know what to do with me. I mean, he was a, he was an army army son, right? His dad was in the army. So his, his upbringing was a lot different than mine was. So, you know, and, and, I'm very lucky that my mom let me live in her basement and I, I'm very lucky she never kicked me out. So, I mean, it, it was rocky. Right. But mm-hmm. she didn't, I think she saw how, how hard I was trying mm-hmm. to get sober because I could go one, two months, three months sober, but I then I just keep falling down that rabbit hole because I didn't know how to live life. But you know, our relationship's better now. Um, and they're proud of me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they should be, um, you know. Again, as a parent of of uh, you know four kids, and learning about boundaries and things like that, sometimes that's what as parents we want to be able to provide that safe space for our kids, so that we can be there and encouraging them and kind of watching over them. And there's other times that it's like, it would be better if we just kicked them out, <laughs> and we mm-hmm. have to kick them out, you know, because there's 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 both sides of those both sides of those coins, you know, yeah. because.
0: For sure. You know, I saw a judge um, do a a talk on YouTube. I don't know how I linked up to it, but he talked about his son. And because if my mom would have kicked me out, I would probably, no one would ever see me again. I would have left. I I was this close to leaving by myself and going to live on the streets Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because that appealed to me way more because I wouldn't disappoint anybody. You know, they could move on with their life. And I could just be left alone with my thoughts. Um, but he talked about his son, who was an addict, and he's like, "I had two choices: I could kick my son out and watch him die in the streets, or I could let him die downstairs if he was going to overdose." He's like, "I'd rather him overdose downstairs and try to help him instead of seeing him overdose on the streets and die by himself." And I found that very interesting because there there are two approaches you can take to it, and. Some will work for others and some won't. Like if my mom would have kicked me out, I mean, I was giving up on myself. I couldn't, if, and I had some friends give up on me, right? If my family would have given up on me, I don't know what I would have done. Mm-hmm. But there's also some people that needed to be kicked out by their parents because when they got kicked out, you know, it, it clicked for them, right? So it's there's one point, it depends, like, is that user trying to get better or are they just using and stealing from you? Mm-hmm. Or is, it, is, he, is he sitting down there, you know, he has his slip ups, um, but he's not doing anything harmful kind of it's it's a very gray area. Right? Mm-hmm. And it just basically comes down to the parents. But it's, you know, it's the healthy boundaries. And, right. it, and it's,
1: you know, and I again, I've seen it just from my from my uh, position as a parent. Sometimes it is like I've seen too much of this indecision like this, you know, talking about how bad things are. But it's like, okay, so what are you gonna, what are you gonna do? Again, I coach people to have their own business and help people in wellness. Sometimes they're not moving forward. I'm like, okay, well, what are you willing to do? Or like, are you gonna make a decision or are you just gonna complain about how bad things are? And I think sometimes when parents set that boundary or say, you know what, by this time you're out. You know, sometimes it can force that person, that child, to finally say, okay, I guess I have to make a decision. You know, but if I live, because I've heard this from other parents, if I live in the comfort of my parents' home, you know, that's great. But we're not, sometimes we're not doing our kids any favor letting us live here, letting them live here if we're not, again, helping them, encouraging them to make a decision to move forward in their life. So I definitely think there's two sides of it. And, um, you know, everybody's got to make their own decisions with that as a parent and things. But um, it's tough. It's tough as, you know, as, as you, I'm sure you know, with little kids, there's like little little problems and we can kind of control what they're eating and doing and things like that. But the kids get bigger, you know, bigger issues, and we can't really uh sit them down and make them do what we want
2: them to do. Oh, and he doesn't eat his he's five. He doesn't need his dinner until tell, I'm telling him he's gonna see both sides. <laughs> right.
1: All <laughs> right. He's probably gonna eat his dinner, right?
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, he, 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 maybe he, he
1: likes to go camping and and sleep outside, yeah. right? Both sides,
2: sweet. Yeah. Man.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you've moved on to, again, being an advocate and helping other people and a, and a coach and talk a little bit about that, like who who you help, um, how you help them and like kind of what that's become uh, for you as you're, you know, helping people be their strongest versions of
2: themselves. Well, you know, I, I've actually helped a variety of different people. It was one person was, you know what, they needed, they needed to quit drinking. And the big thing was it, acceptance and forgiveness. need to forgive themselves for stupid things they've done and see their self-worth. I've had a person, you know, just wanted to improve their
0: lifestyle, different perspectives, implement new strategies. I've had another person that just, she, I did a survey and she, she had a lot of resistance to it. And, you know, she's reached out and said, I have resistance to this. I need to do it. And you know what, she started, she went back to school so she can, you know, upgrade and have a new job. And, you know, another girl, I remember it's week six, she started crying because she she finally realized her self-worth. Um, and another guy, you know, he, he started to put himself first, his, um, his needs first. He had his self-care, not his needs, but his Mm self-care and uh, he's starting to show up better in his personal and his professional life. And, you know, a lot of the people I coach, it's healthy boundaries, it's procrastination, it's, um, self-care putting Mm -hmm. themselves first. And, uh, You know, so I've had a variety of people and and it's it's pretty cool to know that I can kind of coach around that. But, you know, my ideal clients, you know, that person that really wants to make a transformation that Mm -hmm. is stuck in living in their own life, they want to move forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, I learned about that self-care too. Again, being a mom of a, you know, daughter that struggled or still struggles with a mental health disorder, you know, trying to take care of her and forgetting about myself. I mean, I learned firsthand that, I have to put myself on the front burner and put that oxygen mask on first and take care of myself and figure out how to, again, that whole compassionate self-care. It is so important, and it can be so um, uncomfortable, too, because we're not used to doing that. And I'm a nurse, so I like to help people. I like to problem solve. You know, that's what I do is take care of everybody else, and I had to turn around and take care of myself. And um, it's the best
0: do for ourselves. Yeah. If you're at 100% or 90%, then you can be 100 or 90% for somebody else. Like, let's say you're at 50%. Your 100% you're giving them is not actually 100%. It's only 100% of the effort or what you have left in you. Hmm. Right. So you might think you're giving them your best, but what how's your energy level? How's your mood level? Right. Like, are you actually giving 100% of your capacity if you're not at 100%? So, when you start to put your self-care first, saying no to things that you don't want to do, you know, sleeping in every now and then. Once, um, yeah, someone says, hey, come, I need you right now. I'm being like, no, I actually have to do this. So I got to take care of me for a second. Don't you know, have that bath, right? And when you start to do all those things, you really start to show up better for other people because then your attitude starts to be better. You're not as irritable as easy. You're happier, right? You're refreshed. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was I was going too hard in the beginning. You know, I was getting up at 4. 30, doing my stuff during the day, and I was going to serve at night five, six days a week. And I was also going to the gym five, six, seven days a week and trying to do schooling and volunteering and being a dad. And, you know, I, I was burning out. And now it's just I sleep until six or seven <laughs> no matter what. Mm -hmm. I don't need to get up that early. I got to organize my days better then. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You got to find the things that um, you don't want to go to the extreme to the other side. You know, you got to find the balance that works for you. And I totally agree. I've talked in other talks before that I have to fill my cup up pretty much to overflowing. It's got to be overflowing in order for me to really show up good for other people. I mean, I love how you said that you're giving 100% of of yourself. But if you're not at hundred percent, you're
2: and, uh, giving a hundred percent
1: of your 50%. Right. Right. And that's why I was so excited again, to talk to this gal about these amino acids. I'm like, man, if I, cause I can't, I can't figure it out during this whole COVID time. Like I just, I'm not sleeping well and I'm somebody that could go to sleep, go to sleep, sleep the whole night, no problems at all. And I have been just trying all kinds of things. And she said, you know, this might help with this and this, and this, I'm like, okay, let's try it. Because again, I, because people will say what you're good. I'm like, yeah, I am good. But I know that I could be better. I know that I could be I don't think I'm 100%. So um, I'm always looking for that next thing that might just kind of amplify things up.
2: Well, you know what I actually so I was doing pre workout six, seven days a week in the morning, have a coffee when I went to work at four, but I'd have like a coffee with two shots of espresso and then I'd have a couple more coffees while I was there because I'm doing like
0: 156,000 steps per week. And you know, I finally, I just, I quit caffeine. I, I have a natural pre-workout that's like ginseng and stuff like that. And I mix it with MCT oil and greens powder and then mm-hmm. some honey. Uh, and I don't drink coffee. I have the odd green tea, but basically I like 99% of I of yeah, all caffeine in my life. Mm-hmm. I don't drink pop and I feel way better. Yeah. And I time my, my vitamins too.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Those are all good things again. Cause sometimes those things can become, you know, can become crutches. It's not a drug per se, but it is, um, you know, it can be a crutch, those caffeine and sugar and things like that. So that's a, that's a discussion for another day and things like that. So, you know, as we wrap this up, where can people find you, Justin, if they want to connect with you, if they um, want to work with you, um, just kind of follow you, where can people find you?
0: Well, they can find me on my website at www.justinbryan.com. Uh, email me personally at justin at com. You can find me on Instagram, justinbryan nineteen. Send me a message. Let's chat. Let's see if we're a good fit to work together. Let me know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation was or what you would like to work on or what you've implemented to change your life around. And don't forget to leave Moira five-star reading.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, uh, well, that's a great way to, to wrap it up. Um, I appreciate that. Um, hopefully when you hear this, um, I'll have my journal out. We were gonna, I was gonna mention about journaling. You talked about journaling and writing things down. Uh, that has become such a big part of my morning routine and my daily routine is getting my thoughts out of my noggin <laughs> and down. And so I have created a journey to joy journal. My uh, assistant and I are working on that together uh, so hopefully by the time this episode comes out, we'll have that and you can look in the show notes for that. Otherwise, again, everything will be in the show notes so you can get a, a hold of Justin. But I really appreciate you just being here and being open and vulnerable and sharing your story. Um, again, I've heard so many over the, the years and um, they're not always pretty. And there is a lot of um, I hear from many that shame, that regret and things like that. But I really give you kudos for showing up every day for you, for your kids, for your, you know, your girlfriend or wife. I'm not sure where she's at with or you're at with that. But, you know, the gal that's that you're making a family with. And um, I think that's great because. Again, not to get too, that's what we need to do is like, you know, just continue to make this world a better place for ourselves, but also those that will go, you know, go along after we're long gone. So um, thanks for being here, Justin. I really do appreciate it. And uh, reach out to just Justin. And again, write a five-star review, share these podcasts. Um, there's nothing better than you really can do. I love that review, but please share this with somebody that you might think needs to hear it um, and go on and make it a great day. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, head over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review. Share it with others and make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss a thing. I've got a tribe over on Facebook, so head over there and search for Juggling the Chaos of Recovery Podcast Tribe. And do you know somebody who has a story, a story to share, a story of recovery and hope? Please let me know as I'd love to feature them as a guest on one of these next upcoming podcasts. And perhaps you're looking for a community of like-minded, collaborative, and supportive people who cheer each other on as we strive to improve our lives. If that sounds like something you've been looking for, schedule some time with me. You'll find the links in the show notes. Let's talk, and let me help you find your way. And I'm here to tell you that you're worth it.